0: Hello, I'm Cathy Harvey and you're listening to Inspiring Women, a podcast series for Oxford University's Said Business School. A series of talks that turns the spotlight on inspiring women. In this episode, we meet Renee Adams, Professor of Finance at Said Business School. Renee is a truly global scholar. With a maths and economics background, she's held positions at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, at the Stockholm School of Economics, at the University of Queensland and the University of New South Wales in Australia, as well as visiting positions in Japan, Norway, Germany and Italy. Her pioneering work focuses on bank governance and group decision-making and on governance on boards. And it's her work on the role of gender in leadership that's received global media coverage. Here, Rene talks about women on boards and asks, "Can female directors help save economies and the firms on whose boards they sit? Are they the superheroes of tomorrow?"
1: So first, why superheroes? Um, my son and I—my son's coming later. He's outside eating pizza, but um, uh, we're both like major superhero fans. Um, you know, so we've seen like every superhero movie, there's like what, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, uh, Captain America, Captain America Civil War, um, The Hulk, there's Venom, the, you know, so all guys, right? And uh, to uh, motivate the theme, let me read you this quote, which comes from a document by the European Commission that was proposing companies in the EU set targets for their boards in terms of gender diversity. Okay, so this quote is um, as follows. Indeed, there is a clear business case for greater gender diversity on corporate boards, both from the microeconomic perspective, i.e. in terms of individual companies' performance, as well as from a macroeconomic perspective, i.e. in terms of higher sustainable rates of economic growth. Okay, and then uh, the European Commission goes on to cite the following benefits of having women on boards. So the microeconomic benefits are first improved company performance – uh, second, mirroring the market, enhance quality of decision-making, improve corporate governance and ethics, better use of the talent pool, and it doesn't stop there. There are also macroeconomic benefits of having women on boards. So having a woman on the board creates incentives for women to stay in the workforce, thereby helping to create stronger economies, um, and it helps countries achieve higher sustainable rates of economic growth. So um, I look at this list of everything that the female directors are supposed to accomplish, and clearly they have to be superheroes, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, you don't need to um, deal with um, unemployment, you just put women on boards and then economic growth goes up, right? So, all right, so uh, let's take this a bit seriously. Um, maybe this is an interesting idea that women are superheroes, like maybe they are, right? So um, the first, I'm gonna, address four questions in this talk. The first question is, can women on boards be superheroes? Second one is, are women on boards superheroes? The two are not the same, right? Whether they can and whether they are. If they're not currently superheroes, why are they not superheroes? And um, can current policies help address any problems, any sort of impediments to women being superheroes? Okay, so the first question, can female directors actually save the world? Okay, so uh, what are the characteristics of a superhero, if you think about a superhero? And my boy has now um, come into the room, (laughs) and I coached him on this in the ride over here. (laughs) And what's the thing that I said that a superhero is? Um, Risk-taking. Brave? (laughs) Brave, yes, that's a good one, okay. Um, uh, But the one that I was looking for was risk-taking, right? So, So superheroes take risk. Right? Um, what else might you think of as a superhero characteristic? So, what's that? Cars, powerful. Powerful, right? Powerful. Independent um, minded. Independ- independent minded, yes. Um, what about um, in terms of like, what is their objective? What do they want to do? Save. save the world. Save the world, right? They want to save the world. So um, maybe they should have empathy. Maybe they should care about other people, right? Okay, so you think superhero, you sort of say, okay, I can think of some characteristics that these superheroes uh, might have, and can female directors sort of embody these characteristics? Well, let's take a look. And uh, so I'm going to look at this question, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a scale of uh, characteristics. These are human values according to Schwartz. So Schwartz is a psychologist, um, and he developed this scale of human values. According to the Schwartz scale, there are 10 human values, and uh, these are the names of the human values. Okay, so here in this box, that's security, security. Uh, So how security oriented you are, that's related to risk. So I would imagine that superheroes um, are not obsessive about being very secure, right? Because they go out and like fight monsters, right? Uh, And you can't fight monsters if you're very secure. So uh, superheroes would have less security orientation, but they would be very probably benevolent and universalist relates to caring about the broader community, right? Now, I just said superheroes should be less uh, risk-averse, right? Now, is this how we typically think about female directors? Uh, And let me just read you uh, this quote from a Credit Suisse report. The Credit Suisse report says, the inclusion of more women in decision-making roles has been a notable outcome of the 2008 financial crisis and the recognition of the downside risk management focus of women. Okay, well, it's a bit of a problem, right? Because I think superheroes are, Um, you know, people who go out and take lots of risk, um, they're supposed to save the world, right, according to what the European Commission says. Uh, But yet, um, everyone's going around saying that, um, you know, women on boards, they're so great because they don't take any risk. Seems like it's incompatible, right? Okay. So, well, fortunately, um, you know, that's a Credit Suisse report. Uh, We can go beyond what Credit Suisse does and um, look at the data, Okay, and we can actually measure whether women on boards take more risk or not. Uh, So this is what we did. A co-author of mine did this. Uh, We did a survey in Sweden. Uh, We surveyed all directors of listed companies in Sweden. Um, One very good thing about doing this in Sweden is, for some reason, Swedes like to respond to surveys. (laughs) So, you know, um, if you have ever done a survey and um, you think your response rate is good, come and talk to me. I mean, our response rate is amazing, okay? Uh, Which is good because it means that uh, the data is very representative, okay? Uh, And I'm gonna show you the data for Sweden. If you say, oh, well, Sweden, you know, and believe me that the journals did say this. I said, well, who cares about Sweden, right? So um, I have other data, okay? Uh, But I'll show you the Swedish data because um, it's the most representative, okay? And what I've done is I've taken the 10 human values according to Schwartz, okay? Um, and I've plotted the mean values of the values for the male directors and the female directors in our sample. So we asked, we basically sent this questionnaire. We tried to measure uh, human values according to Schwartz and uh, the zeros represent the men um, and the ones represent the women. Uh, So let me just walk you through this. Uh, So basically up here what this tells you is um, men are slightly more achievement oriented than women. Okay, and these are all directors, okay. Uh, This says that the women are significantly more benevolent uh, than the men. Uh, Here, this says that the women are less conformist than the men, okay. The women are more hedonist than the men. That might be surprising to some, but think superheroes, okay. The uh, women are less power-oriented than the men The women are less security oriented than the men. The women are more self-directed than the men. The women are more stimulation oriented than the men. They're less tradition oriented than the men and they're significantly more universalist oriented than the men. And then we had another question. Those were the Schwartz human values and then we also asked a question um, about risk. Uh, So we had here, we have security, which is one measure of risk um, aversion. Uh, Here we have another one, which is based on a lottery question. Uh, And um, the more the bar is to the right, the more risk averse you are. That's how the scale is set up. Uh, And again, the, the one is the women and the zeros are the men. So the women are less risk averse than the men. So um, what does the data tell us about uh, whether female directors are superheroes or have the characteristics of superheroes? Um, So the way I would classify superheroes, um, I would say, well, superheroes would be more achievement, benevolent, hedonistic. Uh, The reason I have hedonism here is because um, Iron Man is pretty hedonistic, and so maybe that might be a good characteristic to have as a superhero more universalist, more self-directed, and more stimulation-oriented than the typical person, but less conformist, less power-oriented, less security-oriented, and less tradition-oriented. So of course you could have a different classification, but I think that sort of makes a lot of sense. Let's look at the female directors. So female directors have more benevolence, hedonism, self-direction, stimulation, and universalism, basically all of these characteristics. They have more of these than the male directors. And uh, they are less conformist, power-oriented, security-oriented, and tradition-oriented consistent with this category. So basically, the only one where they don't exhibit the major superhero characteristic is achievement, where they're slightly less achievement-oriented than the men, but if you go back and look at this, that difference is not very big. Okay, so... um, You know, can female directors be superheroes? I would say yes, right? They have all the qualities uh, that a superhero might exhibit. Another piece of evidence, just to sort of show you that this really works, um, let's look at the finance industry. Okay, you might say, well, in the finance industry, there are more monsters that need fighting. I don't know. Um, But uh, certainly risk-taking is really important in the finance industry, right? So um, in the finance industry, are the women more risk-averse than the men, which is the standard story that people say. So people say, well, you know, if more women had been on boards of financial firms, um, then the financial crisis wouldn't have happened, right? Uh, And the reason is that, well, we all know that women take less risk than men. Okay, so let's look at the data. So here I have data, this is the same sample from Sweden. Okay, Um, And what I'm doing here is I'm only looking at security. Okay, I have other measures of risk, I can do it in different ways. I have um, the same thing, I have Chicago MBA data, I have international data, you get the same pattern. Okay, but this is just the Swedish data. So this is security orientation, and so the less security-oriented you are, the less risk-averse you are, right? Okay, so this is all women, how security-oriented they are, and here are the men. Okay, so you see the exact same pattern I showed you before. So women are less security-oriented than the men on average. So they're less risk-averse. Now let's cut it by finance and non-finance, so you see that um, men in finance are slightly less risk-averse than men who are not in finance, but really, there's not very much of a difference, right? They're basically the same. Okay, Uh, now look at the women. So the women who are in finance are very much less risk-averse than the women who are not in finance, okay? Now, both of these categories of women are less risk-averse than the men, but particularly the women in finance are less risk averse than the men, okay? Um, Now I do exactly the same thing here. This is just the raw data. It's just summary statistics. I do the same thing controlling for things like wealth, education, marital status, whether you have kids. Um, And as soon as you control for stuff, uh, you see that this pattern becomes even more striking, right? So women are less risk averse than men on the board particularly in finance. So the Lehman sisters story is actually the opposite, right? The women in finance don't take less risk, they take more risk. But that's good because they can be superheroes, right? So female directors exhibit more superhero values than male directors. And they may exhibit these characteristics even more in finance where risk taking is more important. So they can be superheroes, right? Are they superheroes? That's the next question. So do female directors save the world? This is actually a very hard question to answer. It seems easy, but it's very difficult. Okay, and there's many challenges. So first, we don't have very good data. How do you measure whether women add value? Okay, very difficult. Um, uh, What kind of methods do you use? Very difficult. Uh, causal inference is a really big problem, and I'll show you later exactly what the issue is. And things like, and I'll get back to this, footnotes, that correlation does not prove and imply causation. They simply don't cut it, right? So if you really want to understand whether women add value or not, you can't fall back to sort of footnotes um, and saying, well, we're not really sure about the interpretation. Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, hopefully you will later. Okay, so, um, well, first question, we might wanna say, well, okay, so women are supposed to save the world. Uh, We think that they can save the world. You know, evidence shows that they can. Um, So, well, in order to save the world, maybe there should be enough women. So let's count how many women are there. That might be the first thing to do. And uh, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at some standard surveys and say, well, what do they say about how many women there are? And then I'm gonna show you some of my own data and say, well, what do I think in terms of how many women there are? Um, and the surveys I'm going to look at are the Catalyst survey. So Catalyst is a very famous survey of women on boards. Um, and it's a survey of board diversity on Fortune 500 firms. Currently, they look at S&P 500 firms. So is for the U.S., uh, and then um, I'm going to look at the European Union's gender balance in decision making database. Uh, this is a database that the European Union is using to track the progress of women on boards, and this underlies the whole policy discussion at the European Union level. Okay, so this is the database that the European Union uses in order to make policy in this area. Okay, Uh, and what is this database? It's data on board diversity for the largest 50 members of the primary blue chip index in each EU country, and uh, some countries don't have 50 members in their primary index, and so for some countries there's fewer companies, okay? Uh, And then I'm also gonna look at Credit Suisse. So they have proprietary data on 3,400 companies uh, that their research analysts cover globally. Okay, so I'm going to look at these three surveys, and I'm going to compare them to um, our data. And so what we have is uh, we have data from a company called Bordex, and um, it's data on unregulated companies in 24 OECD countries from 2001 to 2016. Um, And what we do is uh, we make sure that this data is representative of the country if we include that data in our sample. Uh, so what we say is we only consider a country, or we only let a country enter into our sample if Bordex covers at least 70% of market cap of that country, okay? Because we wanna get a, a picture of the overall, what's going on with women on boards. Okay, so um, let me show you a bunch of graphs. So this, is, uh, this right here is catalyst data and all it is is um, it shows you the percent of women on boards in the catalyst sample. Uh, How they calculate it, it's just the number of women divided by board size, okay? Uh, This is the catalyst data, and uh, this is our data for the US. Okay, now you see there's a bit of a problem, right, because um, this line is significantly lower than that line. Uh, So Catalyst is saying it's about um, 20% women on boards in the U.S. currently. Okay, this 2016 ends. Uh, We say it's about 12%. Uh, Is that a big difference? It's huge, right? Okay, Uh, so that's the U.S. Uh, What about the European Union? Uh, So this is the European Union data for 16 uh, European countries. Uh, This is our data, this green line here, right? Um, so here it's not even that um, our line is lower the growth rate is also lower right so here it's sort of like well the growth rate is similar right so here it's um, our line is lower and the growth is lower right okay uh, what about the UK? okay so this is a good one um, this is the European Union measure um, and don't ask me about why it's so funnily shaped it's you know, it comes straight from the database. We've double-checked it and triple-checked it, and it's just, um, and this is our measure. Okay, uh, and again, you know, so uh, the, according to the European Union's database, uh, there's roughly uh, 25 or more than 25% women on boards in the UK. Uh, we would say it's about 12%. Is this a big difference? It's huge. Um, let me uh, pick on poor Japan So poor Japan has very few women on boards, uh, 3.5%. This is according to the Credit Suisse report. Um, They say there's 3.5% women on boards. Actually, our numbers are even lower, which, you know, it's hard to believe that you can get lower, but you can. Okay, so what the heck is going on, right? How come we get such different numbers? So let me just show you another graph. Uh, This graph shows, for the European Union database, the one that underlines all the policy, the number of companies that they have per year uh, in their sample for the entire European Union, okay? Um, So here's 500, right? Um, And you see a very interesting pattern here where um, the number initially goes up and then here it's about constant. Actually, it is constant. Um, And uh, what does that tell you? It's probably they have a fixed budget and they collect the same number of companies every single year, right? I mean, that's an explanation for why you have such a a line here, right? Okay, so that's the number of companies that are in the European Union uh, data set. Here's the number of companies in our data set. Okay, Uh, so I don't know if you can, so this is 500, this is 3,000, right? So we have more than 3,000 companies in our data set as compared to fewer than 500. Um, so does this matter? Yes, it does, and for a very particular reason. Okay, so uh, what, what explains the difference? Uh, so we have more firms, but we have more firms of a very particular type. <clears throat> okay, in particular, we have more small firms. Okay, uh, so Catalyst, the way that they collect their data is they say, we're gonna look at the Fortune 500. The Fortune 500, by definition, these are the largest companies in the US, okay? Uh, So they have at most 500 of the largest firms in the US. Uh, In our sample for the US, we have between 1,700 and 4,500 companies. Uh, The European Union is for at most 50 of the largest companies. It's the primary blue chip index in each EU country, right? Um, And generally, they have fewer than 500 companies in their sample. Uh, in our sample alone, we have uh, between 664 and 1,700 firms for the UK alone. So our data for the UK has more companies than the et- entire European Union database. Okay, and by construction, the European Union database has only the largest companies. Okay, uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, the the companies that enter into the Credit Suisse sample require analyst coverage in order to enter the sample immediately you have the largest companies. Uh, So what does this tell you? It tells you that um, women are much more likely to sit on the boards of large firms. So this is important, I'll get back to that. Okay, so uh, do female directors save the world? Well, it's sort of like, well, how can they? Right? So uh, there's not that many of them. Actually, there's fewer female directors than people think. And they're all sitting on the boards of large companies. How can you save the world if you're sitting on the board of a large company? Do large companies need like major you know, superheroes? Maybe not. Uh, now, what about the business case? So you know, the European Commission says, um, indeed, there's a clear business case for greater gender diversity, i.e., in terms of individual companies' performance, Okay, so maybe there's not that many women on boards, um, but when they're on the board, boy, they improve company performance, right? So let's see if that holds. Uh, So this right here is um, uh, probably one of the most cited pieces in the policy debate on women on boards. Every policy document that I've ever seen cites this piece. Um, and what it is, it's a one-page document produced by Catalyst, the same company that produces the statistics on women on Fortune 500 uh, boards, Um, and uh, it's called The Bottom Line, Corporate Performance and Women's Representation on Boards, and uh, basically what they do is they take return on equity for the firms in their sample. so this is Fortune 500 companies, and um, they divide the companies into those in the bottom quartile, in terms of women on the board of directors and the top quartile of women on the board of directors. And then they plot return on equity, and you see that return on equity in the bottom quartile of women on boards of directors is much lower than return on equity in the top quartile. Um, And then they say companies with more women on boards of directors outperform those with the least by 53%. So this is the business case argument. Right, and this is the evidence for the business case argument. Okay, so you look at this, you say, "Wow, you know, women are superheroes. Right, you have a woman on the board and shareholder value goes up. It's incredible. Okay, Um, now here there's this little footnote. Correlation does not prove or imply causation. Okay, and that's important because what is this? It's a correlation. Okay, so now it would be great if this was actually true because then you know, we could all go home, I w- we wouldn't have to have these you know, discussions. You, know, you add a woman to the board, shareholder value goes up, perfect, the world is great. Right? Women can be superheroes and they are superheroes. Um, but let me show you that it's not the case. Okay, so um, I have some data and um, if you're gonna criticize someone, it's always good to first replicate their results. Right? So I took my data, I replicated the catalyst result. Okay, and uh, here's the Catalyst result. So I have return on equity, which is what Catalyst also uses, and I have the fraction of female directors, okay? Uh, So this is a regression. I regress return on equity on the fraction of female directors. Uh, Basically, it's the same thing. Since I only have one variable, it's just a correlation. Okay, so what's the correlation? It's positive, and look, three stars. So um, if you know something about statistics, three stars is great. If you don't know anything about statistics, Three stars, sounds pretty great, right? <laughs> so um, that means, wow, there's, there's really an effect, right? So uh, this seems like, oh, well, Catalyst is right, right? So more women on the board, return on equity increases. Fantastic, okay. Uh, so now before I said, well, where are all the women? Uh, well, the women are all on the boards of large companies, pretty much, right? So now uh, let's think about it. So the women are on the boards of the large companies and is it possibly the case that large companies might have different performances? Eh, You could tell the story, right? Okay, so what am I gonna do now? I'm gonna put in firm size. So I have log sales, which is a proxy for firm size. I'm gonna put that in this regression. That's all I do, I add one variable to this regression. What happens? All those magic stars over there, they go to firm size. There's no more stars over here. Not only that, this magnitude is a fourth of this. So you can't even argue, well, economic significance, right? So it's not statistically significant, there are no stars. And you can't look at the magnitude and say, well, the magnitude is so big, so still there's something there. No, I'm sorry, it vanished. And all I've done, I put in one variable, it's firm size. So now you could do, well, what about something else, right? Okay, so here I have industry effects. I right? control for industry. Well, actually, now the magnitude gets even smaller, 50%. Um, now you could say, well, uh, what about, um, maybe this isn't like a cross-sectional effect, maybe you have to look within firms. So within a firm, if I had more women on the board, uh, does performance increase? That's what I do here. So technically, I'm adding firm fixed effects whoops, now the sign flips. It's negative. Not only is it negative, now I have my three stars back, but it's the wrong sign. So actually, if you, you know, some people might look at this and say, well, actually what this tells us, if you have more women on the board, firm performance goes down. Um, Now you can play around, you can put other stuff, right? It's like, oh, what about board size? Okay, I put board size. Uh, what about board independence? Okay, I put board independence. Uh, what about diversification? Okay, you know, throw whatever you want at this thing. Um, and now you put in other stuff and what happens? The stars go away, and, um, but the magnitude, you know, the sign is still negative. Okay, so you look at this and you say, well, what's going on, right? And exactly, what's going on? You have no idea. You can't say anything about the relationship between women on boards and firm performance. This is sort of like a classic example of a non-robust result, okay? So uh, do female directors save the world? Well, female directors have more characteristics of superheroes than male directors. Okay, we can't forget that, right? But they don't save the world. Okay, so now this is really important because we want them to be able to, we want that positive correlation to be robust, right? But it's not. So then we have our work cut out for us, right? Because this tells us that um, we need to understand why. I mean, women should be superheroes. Why is that positive correlation not there? That is the interesting question. You could say, well, how is this issue currently being framed? Um, well, currently the way that people always talk about this is they say, well, you know, women are not on boards because um, you know, there's something at the company level that's a problem. And um, if you know anything about the policies in this area, all of the gender diversity policies are targeted at firms. You know, so they're all saying, oh, you need to have more women on your board. That's a firm level intervention, right? So you need to do something as a firm. And, um, and the European uh, Commission is quite explicit. They say, well, HR directors are to blame, right? So there's discrimination going on at firms. It's always the firms, the firms, the firms, right? Uh, but it's not that simple. Okay, there's a lot of societal factors that play a role also. Let me just briefly show you some evidence that suggests that societal factors are important. Uh, So what I've done here is I've taken the same sample that I used to compare against um, Catalyst and the European Union data, and I've divided the sample into companies in STEM fields and finance, and uh, non-STEM field companies. Okay, so what's STEM? It's companies that um, do something related to science, technology, engineering, or math, okay? And I've defined a STEM firm to be a firm where there's a high proportion of employees um, working in those in sort of technical occupations. Okay, so all I'm doing here is I'm plotting the fraction of women uh, in non-STEM firms that are sitting on the board, and here's a fraction of women in STEM firms. This is global, excluding the U.S., If you look at the US, then you see, and why would one separate? Because the US has a lot of companies. So it's always good to separate out the US. Uh, So the US, you see that both of these lines are higher, but the gap is bigger. Basically, what do you see? So there's fewer women on the boards of STEM firms than there are on the boards of non-STEM firms. Um, Now you ask, well, is this because the boards of STEM firms, um, they have worse HR directors? than the non-STEM companies? Doesn't make much sense because, you know, STEM companies, you know, these are like the science companies, they make a lot of money, right? So would they hire worse people? Doesn't make much sense. Um, are they discriminating more? Also hard to tell the story, right? So the STEM field systematically discriminates more than non-STEM field. So actually, this suggests that the problem is not at the firm level. There's something related to the pipeline of women in these fields that explains why there's few women in the STEM than the non-STEM, right? Um, And if you know anything about this debate, there is a huge debate about um, why women don't enter STEM fields, right? And so basically what this shows you is women don't enter STEM fields, and that has consequences for leadership of STEM firms, right? Because they're gonna end up with very few women who are potential board candidates because there's no women in the field, right? But this is not, a problem with the directors discriminating against women more in STEM fields. It's a problem that there are no women in the field. And this is not a firm-level problem. This is a societal problem. So uh, what is the point? Uh, why are female directors not saving the world? Well, it's not just about firms, right? So you can't understand whether women save the world or not just by regressing return on equity on the fraction of women on boards. Okay. We need to dig deeper, we need to understand institutions. So um, do current policies help, right? So do they help overcome some of these potential institutional problems? And here, let me just show you what's going on in the policy space. Uh, So what I have here, this solid line, is the number of countries enacting board gender diversity policies over time. Okay, what's a board gender diversity policy? It's a quota. It's a corporate governance code that specifically mentions that directors should consider gender when appointing directors. Um, It's a disclosure rules, like in Australia, you have to disclose um, your diversity policy. It's uh, some state-owned companies have specific quotas. Uh, So those are all board gender policies. Uh, So you see that there's been a lot of activity. Right, So many countries are enacting these policies, and as a result, the, this dash line here is the fraction of countries worldwide that have at least one board gender diversity policy. And uh, we're almost up to 25%. This ends in 2016, so I'm sure that we're, more stuff has been happening lately. Even California has a quota now, right? So there's more stuff going on. So there's lots of countries now that have these policies. Uh, Now, how do they justify these policies? Let me just read you this. This comes from the European Commission in 2010. Uh, They say, uh, in business, there is an ever-increasing body of evidence showing that companies with a good balance between the sexes at senior level tend to perform better than those that do not. Um, And I read these documents. I'm always like, oh, well, I want to see which papers are they citing? Right? Because you know my own paper doesn't really find this so like which papers are they citing? Uh, always good to look at the footnotes. Um, and here are the footnotes uh, so this is the evidence that they cite. Uh, Examples of studies linking corporate performance to the representation of women on boards include the bottom line, corporate performance and women's representation on boards, Catalyst 2007, uh, which is the one where I just threw in firm size and the whole thing falls apart, right? Uh, so this is what they're using to justify their policies. And the other one, um, which I can equally uh, destroy is uh, "Women Matter." <laughs> "Gender Diversity: a Corporate Performance Drive" by McKinsey." So the two most cited documents in the policy space are the Catalyst Report and the McKinsey Report. Uh, now note, there's not a single academic paper that's cited here. OK? So you know, you say, well, wow, there's a lot of policy activity going on. Uh, can these policies um, help women become the superheroes they maybe should be? And then I worry a bit when I see how they justify the policies. Right? And it's not like there aren't any academic papers on this. Right? So you might say, well maybe the policymakers are referring to the business case because there's really no evidence on women on boards. Okay, now it's a little bit true, but it's not quite that easy. Uh, So what I did is um, uh, I went to look at the FT, so the um, Financial Times uh, top 50 journal list, and I said, uh, let's get all papers on women on boards. Okay, and what I'm doing here is I'm plotting the number, so here I have the policies. I just took that from the previous graph, so the number of countries enacting policies, Uh, and here I have the number of papers that were published um, in FT50 journals uh, in each year, specifically relating to uh, women on boards, Um, and um, I'm sort of undercounting these papers a bit because I excluded Journal of Business Ethics, okay? Uh, Which is, um, interestingly enough, uh, the journal where most papers about women on boards appear um, but um, you know, if you want to ask me why I exclude it, um, I think they don't do the causation thing very well. Okay, uh, so I've excluded all of the papers from Journal of Business Ethics. So basically, what does this show you? Well, there are papers on women on boards, and they're papers that are published in very good journals. So the FT50 list. This is how we judge, you know, the business school. Um, these are very good journals, and there are papers published uh, in these journals. Uh, so why are the policymakers not citing them? It's a bit of a mystery, right? Uh, another problem is uh, what you see is so the papers published, the policymakers are not citing them, um, but then there's this explosion in policy, so the policy is front-running the research. Right, because the policy is really taking off before the research even catches on, and I'll bet you that this uptick in the research is all related to the policy. Right, because now, oh, there's all this policy, let's study it. Right, and so what this tells you, it's not like, oh, we understand women on boards, and now let's have a policy. No, it's actually, let's have a policy, oh, now let's study the policy, Um, but we still don't know anything about women on boards. Okay, so there's two problems. Uh, So one problem, if you say, well, can current policies sort of um, make women become superheroes? Well, I would say the policies are informed by research, you know, in quotation marks, uh, like Catalyst and McKinsey, which I don't consider fundamental research. They're not informed by research, which is what we do at the business school, right? Um, And uh, why is this a problem? Well, the catalyst story, it's a good story, right? So you add more women to the board and performance goes up, that's a great story. But it's wishful thinking, okay. Should you base policy on wishful thinking? I would say not. You may disagree, you know, we can debate this, but I would say that's not a good way to design policy. Uh, And another problem is policies are front-running the research, so there's very little chance that the policies are actually informed that they're sort of designed around the problem that they're supposed to address. Okay, so um, to conclude, uh, I'd like to make the case that fundamental research is necessary to separate truth from fiction. Um, so I think there's a couple of scientific truths and you know, I'm a bit tough here, I shouldn't, you, know, you should never say that you have a truth as a scientist, but so I'm a bit you know, exaggerating for the sake of the presentation. But what I showed you uh, is that science can tell us that um, there are fewer women out there on boards than people say there are. Women on boards are not as they are typically portrayed. Uh, So the way that women on boards are typically portrayed is not as superheroes. They're portrayed as sort of like, oh, you know, you're gonna be the woman who's gonna sit in the corner and, oh, let's not do that, right? That's not a superhero. How, How is that person supposed to improve firm performance? Right, uh, So women on boards are not as they're typically portrayed. Um, actually, they are risk-loving. They can be more risk-loving than the men. Right? So when we talk about them as being risk-averse, oh, let's have a woman on the board because we're gonna reduce risk. That's stereotyping, okay? And uh, I didn't highlight this, but if you looked at the values, one thing that you really notice is women on boards are very different from men on boards. Okay, now this is very important because a lot of times people have the story, oh, you know, once the women get on the board, they're gonna be exactly like the men. Um, If that's the case, there's no reason to have diversity, right, because the women and the men are exactly the same. Um, But actually the values data shows that the women are quite different from the men. So the women are more risk-loving than the men, but they're also more benevolent and significantly more benevolent than the men. Okay, so that's a point of differentiation, which is actually important to understand because that means diversity may matter. But unfortunately, the business case fails. And that's really where the interesting question is why does it fail? So, to conclude, women may not always be superheroes. You know, not always. Most of the time, right? But not always. But there's no reason they can't be superheroes more often, right? They have all the fundamentals. And informed policies may actually help, right? So, there's some reason that they're not realizing their potential. We don't really know what it is, but presumably policy can help them achieve their potential. And so basically, I'd like to say, so for those of you who are still looking for research topics, if there's anyone in the room, we need more research. Um, so that line that I showed you with the policies and the research, it's a bit outrageous, right? We, we need to like get cranking on this. We need to understand what's going on. Um, and also policymakers and academics need to engage, right? So they should start citing our work. We need to engage with policymakers. Only then can women actually become superheroes.
0: In the Q&A that followed Renee's talk, she was asked, if there is no real benefit to having women on boards, where does that leave women?
1: You may think that this is bad news, right? But actually what I'm saying, it's very difficult to measure um, value increases right, so like suppose you were taking some random, you know, corporate finance class, right, and someone told you, well, um, you know, should your CEO do a merger, right, uh, and you look at the evidence on m and I mean, there's no, I mean, the evidence is totally all over the place, okay, so, so the evidence for women on boards is exactly the same, right, so I would say there is no corporate strategy uh, for which you would unambiguously say that it adds value because it could add value, but it could not add value, it depends. Women is exactly the same, okay. So now a problem is, why are we setting a standard for women that you can't apply to any other corporate strategy, right? So why do we say that the only reason to have a policy for women on boards is if we believe that they magically add shareholder value? Um, I think that's a very bad basis for policymaking. Okay, Um, And it it may be that women add value. Right. Uh, It's just measuring it is very difficult. So, you know, that's why we need more research, because we really need to get it um, at these issues. So so I just wanted to set it straight. So I don't I don't view this as bad news. I view this as like, uh, let's be scientists, because the only way that we can actually change the world is by understanding what's actually going on. I'm a major believer in diversity. So just because you don't see return on equity increasing when there's more women on boards, doesn't mean diversity doesn't add value, right? And so actually a lot of the evidence that I showed sort of suggests that, right? So women are quite different from men. So of course we should have diverse teams, right? Um, What we shouldn't do is apply a standard that we can't apply to any other corporate strategy to women right? So we shouldn't say, well, the only reason to have diversity is if we can measure it using return on equity increasing, right? Why, why would we impose this standard? Okay, so in theory, diversity matters. Now, in practice, measuring whether diversity matters is very difficult, but it's also very difficult for any other corporate strategy. So, you know, the catalyst stuff is a story, and then you might say, well, maybe Catalyst isn't so bad, but actually it is bad, and the reason that it's bad is because understanding that the business case may fail helps us try to understand where the problems are, you know, so, so you may say, well, you know, it's very hard to measure if something doesn't add value, but then in the M&A literature, what you do is you say, well, when, does, when do mergers add value? What are the characteristics of mergers that add value? So you, there's a huge literature on M&A because you try to figure out why doesn't it add value Right? And so, for the, for the diversity, it should be the same. We should be writing lots of papers trying to say, well, maybe in this situation, having more women adds value. And what is the characteristic? You know, it can't be the case that
0: it's always good to have women. Just like it's not the case, it's always good to have men. Here's Rene's reflection on whether there should be positive selection and women only lists for boards and leadership positions. Well, uh, you know what? I think it's good to shake things up. And why not, occasionally,
1: right? Just to tell you a story. So um, I'm a finance professor, right? Um, in finance, once you get focused on the gender thing, you see it everywhere, right? So in finance, most conferences, the men are presenters. The program committee, it's all male. The keynotes are always male. So I organized a conference where I said, I'm going to have only female keynotes. I'm going to have an only female selection committee, so the people who choose the papers. Uh, but any con- anyone can submit a paper, Right, so, so I, as a woman, can submit a paper uh, to a conference run by men, and the men can submit to the conference run by women. Right, um, And the interesting thing is a lot of guys didn't submit because they thought it was a conference only for women. Even though the, it was a standard finance conference, it just happened to be that the keynote was female and the program committee was female. So it was an, in, an interesting thing, but like, why not? Right?
0: And here's what she had to say on busting gender stereotypes and the factors that lead to women not being on boards in the first place.
1: So one thing that really bugs me is uh, people throw these labels around very easily and they don't understand when they're stereotyping. Okay, so, so one of my favorite ones, for example, is um, this idea that women shy away from competition. Okay, so there's a lot of research showing that women shy away from competition, but these women are like students at universities these are not women who sit on boards, right? And then people start telling the story. Oh, we all know that women shy away from competition, right? Um, now, I don't know how uh, if any of you have ever um, uh, seen a ballet company. Ballet is the most competitive sport probably ever, right? And I'm just like, okay, you, you have no idea. So it, it really depends on the context, right? So context really matters for these things. And so the, I think a very important point is that one shouldn't get to these labels too quickly. Right, And so the overconfidence thing, yeah, so maybe people are saying, well, women are not as overconfident as men, right? And then, what they, and then they say, well, that's risk aversion. Okay, and maybe you like the story that women are not as overconfident as men. But uh, then you have to say, well, men are generally overconfident, and actually, I'm not sure. Are men generally overconfident? I don't know. And are women less overconfident, especially at the board level? I don't know, right? Um, so to be a woman on a board, uh, you might have to be more overconfident than the men, right? I mean, you've got to be super confident. So so I don't know, right? So, but interesting research question, right? Uh, but I think it's very important that we don't stereotype. Um, and then uh, the second question, what are the factors that lead to women not being on boards? Well, I have some research um, where we, we show that, um, so the the data that we used, Uh, or that I showed you a bunch of statistics from, uh, we use that to show that um, countries have more women sitting on boards when more women work full-time in the country. Okay. Uh, Now you say it, it's completely obvious, right? Um, But then you start thinking it has many policy implications. Because if you really want more women to sit on boards, suppose that's a desirable policy objective, um, then what's one way to achieve it? You need more women to work full-time. Okay, and then how do you get more women to work full-time? Well, then you start thinking about childcare, right? You start thinking about culture. You start thinking, I mean, there's many things, right? Education, right? So so it's a complicated problem. Uh, It's a complicated problem, and um, in my view, we're only throwing simplistic solutions at it.
0: You've been listening to Inspiring Women, a podcast series for Side Business School.